0: Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and lead us, show us what you would want us to see, and we just thank you for this evening, we thank you for those that are here, and we also ask you to bless anybody who's not here, for whatever reasons, you know what those are, and we just thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse 1, we're still looking at Elisha, Uh, he just got the anointing uh, and the... And was, so we're looking now now there was a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets there, and there cried a certain woman of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying your servant my husband is dead and you know that your servant did fear the Lord and, and the creditor is come to take unto him my sons to be bondmen and Elijah said unto her what shall I do for you Tell me what have you in the house? And she said, Your handmaid has nothing in the house save a pot of oil. And he said to her, Go borrow you vessels abroad from all your neighbors, empty vessels, borrow borrow not a few. And when you are come in, you shall shut the door upon you and upon your sons, and you shall pour out into those vessels, and you shall set aside that which is full and she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons and brought the vessels to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her sons bring me yet another vessel and they said to her there is not a vessel more and the oil stayed then she came and told the man of God and he said go sell the oil and pay your debt and live you and your children on the rest All right. we're going to stop there for just a moment because First off we're looking at the consequences of being disobedient. All right? This man had taken out a loan. And God has told in the scriptures over and over don't take out loans. Now he dies and the family is going to suffer. In that day and age if somebody owed money and could not pay, there was no such thing as bankruptcy court to go into and have your court, your debts dismissed. Now, the lender might be nice and take your, <laughs> give you give you a freedom. But in most cases, they did just what this guy was going to do. He was going to take the sons and make them his servants for seven years. All right, which was the law in the land that they could work for seven years until they had to be set free. So this was the consequence. Her husband's dead. The creditor wants to take her sons, which is going to be her only means of living So now she is going to be in dire straits. So she goes to Elijah, who is the head of the school of the prophets and says, you know, my husband really loved God and now he's dead. And, you know, this is the predicament. In Now, Elijah shows some great restraint because he said it could have said, well, what why did your husband take out loans? Why wasn't he living by faith? All these other things that he could have said, but he didn't go that route. And that's a good leader on that but this is the consequence in proverbs 22 7 it says that the the borrower is the slave to the lender and this is even true in our day when we borrow money that person wants their money back and they're going to sue you or whatever it takes to get it and that's why a lot of people say well i can't give i can't give my tithe to god because i owe all this money well then you really are having a problem all right because god says you owe him too (laughs) and he wants his payment, and so we see this problem, and Elisha said, you know, kind of an interesting statement, what, what shall I do for you, you know, basically saying, what are you expecting me to do for you, Um, and then he goes, tell me, what have you in your house, he's basically saying, what do you have to sell, what, what can you do to pay off these debts, and her answer is quite an interesting thing. It says in the King James, I don't have anything in my house save a pot of oil. In the Hebrew, it says a little jar. It's not even a pot of oil. It's a little jar of oil. So, um, and it's kind of going back to the, the widow in Zarephath where uh, Elijah had said, you know, what are you doing? I'm going to make a cake for my my son. I have just enough flour and oil to make one cake. And he says, make me a cake first, and then you and your son eat. And then she used that same pot of that little cup of flour and oil for an entire three and a half years. So this is the same type of picture that we're seeing here. This woman has a little jar of oil. You know, Even if it's a big jar of oil, you know, let's say it's a gallon of oil, that's all she's got. And I don't think was that big by the description in, in Hebrew? It's a little jar of oil. I'm thinking more of the salad cruet, cruet oil you know, on your table. You know, and it might not have been that small, but I'm thinking something that small. All right? Uh, because of the way the word the wording is in the in the Hebrew. It's a small jar. It's not a big jar. It's not a horn. It's not gallons uh, at most. It's a gallon of, of oil. And so he tells her something that's kind of interesting to do, much as he did the widow. As uh, the Elijah told, her, go make you know you've got just enough to make one cake, me one first, and then you and your son will eat the eat the leftovers. And she did it and fed herself for three and a half years. She does follows what he says. and He says, go borrow every jar that you can get your hands on. All right. So her and her sons are running all over town. <laughs> Borrowing jars. (laughs) Borrowing jars, big jars, little jars, it doesn't matter. They're borrowing jars. Anything, any any empty vessel. Anything that you could put this thing into. And he says very clearly uh, that he says, and borrow not a few. All right? In other words, get as many as you possibly can. Do not stop until there's not another jar in town that you can borrow. (laughs) And you got to kind of picture this—how uh, funny this will be. They're—they're they're knocking all over the, knocking around the town, knocking on doors. <laughs> you know, we—we uh, we need jars. <laughs> what do you need jars for? We don't know. Elisha told us to get jars. We're—we're we're getting jars. Uh, you know, and people are probably being generous. Here's your jar. You know, because uh, we're going to find. You know, she's she's going to pour this oil out enough to live, pay off the debt, and have a be able to live for a while. So she did, she was very obedient. Not, probably not fully understanding. All right. Huh? Didn't make sense to the widow of Jerephath. Go take that flower. You have enough to make one cake. Make me one first and then you know, feed you and your sons. Uh, well, you know, I told you I had enough to make one cake. All right. And so she's here gathering up the jars, and he just tells her to get them all. And then when, you're, when you've got all the jars you can find, go into your house, close the door, and start filling the jars. You know, and you've you got to think about it. She's got, she's got her little jar, and she's looking at all those jars. Elisha said to start filling your jars. <laughs> OK. And she starts filling the jars. She gets one filled, hands it to her son, put this aside, fills the next one, hand, put this aside, fills the next one, puts it aside, looks in, and there's still just as much oil as when she started. <laughs> fills the next one, and, you know, keeps filling them up. Keeps looking at that little flask of oil, and it is still full. Gets to the end and says, okay, where, you know, fills that last jar. Okay, sons need more jars. We don't have any. Jars on every table, every cabinet, all over the floors, everywhere there's jars full of oil. <laughs> And all she had was one little flask to start with. And she's looking at a miracle in her house. (laughs) Well, I'm sure she filled it. I think anything that would hold oil, they filled. (laughs) All right. But this is a miracle. This is a miracle that God still does these kind of miracles today. You know, when he will do little things to make things expand. I'm sure there's times when we've been up there and the food has been expanded because I've looked at times when there's not enough food to feed everybody that's up there at the end of the month dinner and everybody goes home full. And usually something left over for people to take home. God will still do miracles for us. And she fills all of these jars up and it was kind of interesting because he hadn't told her what to do after she filled the jars. (laughs) You know, she's looking at all these jars and saying, "Okay, he told me to switch." You know, you know, she's thinking maybe she's pouring oil from one jar and then taking it from the other jar and pouring it back. You know, who knows what she's thinking of? And she just keeps pouring the oil, fills all these jars. And she goes back to him and says, "Okay, I've got lots of jars full of oil. Lots of jars full of oil. What do I do with them? Go sell them. Go sell them." This had to have been good, good olive oil because she's going to make a lot of money from it, or they got a lot of jars, one or the other. This isn't motor oil. This is is most likely a cooking oil. (laughs) And she goes out and sells it. He goes, go and sell it and pay your debt and live on the rest of it. Now, how long she had, I don't know. The one thing you want to understand is we think it's bad on widows today, it was really hard on widows back then. Most women did not hold jobs outside the home. They might be able to make a business if they were a good seamstress or you know, a good cook or something, they could do something. But it was still only being dealing to the other women of the town because the men wouldn't go to them for the business. In, in their day and age, the woman could not even give testimony in court. So if you, get, you, if you committed a crime in front of a woman, you'd get away with it because she could not testify in court against you. Her, her word had nothing back then. Uh, now, people would have listened. You know, there were people that would be listened, but in court, it would not be accepted. There would have to be collaborating evidence given by a man. And it's, I know it was unfair, but it was just the way it was back then. In Jesus' day, when he was resurrected it's a that women were the first ones to see him and give testimony women could not give testimony in court which people go well you know these guys must have been insane you know because they used women to be that well that where it was the truth the women were the first ones to see it and they were the ones that Jesus always elevated God has always elevated the place of women and we see it all through scripture that he elevates and through christianity through christianity women's place has been elevated in this world if you live in a place where christianity has not reigned women are still suppressed in the muslim world and most of the middle and the middle the middle east and the and the far east women are still suppressed they have no rights even to this day they're starting to get some because the world is putting pressure on 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 them but it's the european uh, u.s that is putting pressure on the world to bring women up and so here this woman had nothing she was not going to have anything and now god has given her enough to pay off the debtor her sons now can work for you know go out and earn some living and she's going to have enough money to buy food and, and keep the place moving all because she knew where to ask she asked of god help by going to the prophet. I have a uh-huh. I'm wondering and maybe it said for the wrong day, but right here you know, so it says, "Pay your debt and you and your sons on the rest." I wonder if that little vessel just continued to pour out. I think it ended after that one. Yeah. Cuz he told her this was her choice. I go out and get five five jars. You're going to get five jars of oil. I, I went out and got 200 jars. I got 200 jars of oil. And this is a lesson that we've, we use it also in, in Christianity. How much faith do you have? When God says to go do something, are you planning on just having three people? Or are you planning to have a huge, monstrous crowd? When we planned for our 125-year anniversary for the church, we planned to have a very large crowd. We even went over and rented the... The town hall, which would seat well over 100 people. We also set up the sound system to relay the, the sound from here to the church and to Maggie Day. Oh, really? Now, we didn't have enough to need all of that. But we had a lot. We did have a good crowd. But my plan was, God, Make crowd. I'm waiting for this crowd that you're going to be and I'm going to be prepared for it. We didn't get it, but I was still prepared for a large crowd. Uh, so I think no, I think in this case it doesn't say that she ever got more oil. I think it was literally a one- time thing if she'd only had enough faith to get ten jars or five jars or one jar, she might have looked at that little jar and said, "Well, this is a lot bigger jar. All I'm going to do is you know put it in there she' have had one jar of oil the Obviously, they got every jar that they possibly could. So she got a lot of faith. Yeah, you know she had the faith to say. Elisha told me to get jars. I'm going to get every jar I can possibly find in town. And filling them up. And she was filling them up and said, you know, okay, another, I need another jar. Where's, where's the jar? Uh, uh, Mom, we're out. <laughs> so, and it doesn't tell us how many she had. It doesn't tell her how big the debt was. It doesn't tell us anything other than the prophet said, now pay your, sell this and pay your debt and live on the rest. So we don't know how many jars she filled. Or what she earned by filling these jars. We know it's kind of just a little quick vignette. But it is a statement of her faith. She obeyed Elisha and grabbed all the jars she had and could find and filled them. And for us as Christians, what is our faith? What is our level of faith when we step out for God's work? And this is important for us. You know, when we start something... Most of the time it's not going to start out, you know, sometimes we dream so big, you know, that, that we're going to have this, you know, really, and we don't get anywhere near it. And that's great, but we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared in case God says, okay, yeah. you've been faithful. We're going to keep giving you more and more. Uh, when we do this recovery, you asked for six, I bought 12. Yeah. I probably should have bought more, but I, you know, but I'm thinking, she asked for six, I'm going to double it and see what happens. You know, uh, and we'll put it, probably put it in the budget and see what happens from, from, from it in this point. But the idea is, what is our faith? Where where are we where are we limiting God? God is bigger than we are. He has bigger plans than we have, and will do greater things than we ever think of. This woman could have said, you know, I don't know what this uh, you know Elisha is talking about. You know, I've got one little thing of oil. You know, he wants me to get jars. <laughs> um, But she might have also been thinking about the widow of Zarephath, who had been fed for a year, uh, three and a half years, off of one cup of flour and a little, little bit of oil. Huh? Did she hear about that? I don't know. I don't think it was that big a secret, Uh, especially not to the school of prophets, because Elijah was in charge of that, and part of his testimony would have been the woman of Zarephath, the, the widow at Zarephath. So that group, anyway, would have known. Uh, it's just like us in our church, we share what God has done for us and what we've seen him do. That would have been their church. They would have, she probably knew. I'm not going to say she did, but very good chance that she did knew because that would have been a story that he would have told about faith. Um, so, and she sells her, she's out of debt. She doesn't lose her son. So now with her sons intact, they can go out and and work fields. They can learn a trade. They can take care of her like they're supposed to. If they had not been, if they had been sold into slavery, according to Exodus 21, they would have served for, out, for, seven, uh, for six years and then been released of the, of the, from the debt. Uh, so this was a big deal. She would have been at least six years without her sons taking yeah. care of her. Yeah, but in that day, it would have been awful. She, would have, she wouldn't have made it. Verse 8, and it fell on that day that Elijah passed ...to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passed by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray you, on the top of the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he comes to us that he shall turn in there." And it fell on one day that he came there and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said unto her, say now unto her behold you have been careful for us with all care. What is to be done for you? Would you be spoken to for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered and said, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then shall be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she has no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this time, according to the time of life, you shall embrace a son. And she said, Nay, Lord, you man of God, do not lie to your handmaiden. And the woman conceived and bare a son in the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. All right, so here's the next miracle they're talking about. He goes on a trip. He goes to Shunem. And the city of Shunem is approximately five miles south of Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is directly north of where he's been at. In about five miles north, uh, south of Tabor. And Tabor is way up by the Sea of Galilee up by, you see Endor in big, in big yeah. writing, right above that is Tabor. So they're between Tabor and Endor. Okay. All right, so this is a pretty good trip. I mean, he's, he's walking around a lot, and it, apparently he goes there a lot mm-hmm. from this story. So the first time he goes up that way, it says a great woman, older, distinguished, is what it really means. It's, okay, it's not a big, big, heavy woman. It's somebody who's older, distinguished, uh, somebody who has a prominent place in the, in the, in the matriarchal side of the town. Um, and she constrained him, begged him to come in and have dinner. All right. Now, we don't really have the same attitude in our, in our day, but when a, a prophet or a Levite or a priest came around, it was almost considered good luck to have them in there because you brought God's presence into your house. So she's compelling him to come in. Uh, there was a time when it was the same way, even amongst Christian churches, where the pastor would be compelled to go to different people's houses uh, on sun- Sundays afternoons. The pastor would, and or fam- his family would be everybody, you know, taking turns at everybody's house on Sunday afternoon. Uh, so this is kind of where she's at. She's going, "Come on in, you know. I want God's blessing. I'm going to take care of you." And she probably fed him a very good dinner and, and, and made sure that he was nice and full. And he, she did this and every time that he came by, he did this. So this is obvious that Elijah, just like Elijah and many of the other prophets, had a circuit that they, they, ran, they, they went out. So every, every once in a while they'd go out and they'd do their big circuit and hit all the towns. Um, Samuel did it. Elisha did it. Many of these guys had their circuits. And if you are familiar with even the early days of America, we had circuit pastors, circuit-riding pastors. They would get on their horse. Yeah. Huh? Did you have that? Lots of people do, do it. it. They call it a circuit overseer. When he comes through, it is a big honor for you to be have it. Yeah, to oh, definitely. When that, the, and a really big honor in those days when you had a circuit... The pastor would run a circuit, and he'd, 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 you know, once a month or so, he'd, he'd each town and come around. And, and when he was in town, it was almost a battle to see who was going to be the one that put the pastor, pastor gave the pastor a bed to sleep in and and a and a good meal. And and uh, some of those circuit rider pastors actually got fat because they got fed so well. Uh, but he had a circuit, and here in Shunem was one of those circuits. And then she talked to her husband and said, "Behold, now, you know, I see that this is a holy man. This is a good man. He is. He is going to be there." And she t- talked her husband into building. It says a chamber or a little room on the roof. All right, and it probably was big enough to put a bed. It tells you what it had. It had a bed, a little table, a little little uh, lamp stand, so they could do his study and studying in there and had a, had a chair in there and, and all that so that it was just a little comfortable room that when he came into town it would have been on the roof which they always had the exit ac- access from the outside so if he came in late he didn't have to knock on the door it was just you know elisha this is your room when you're in town it's yours come and come and stay and then she would have made sure his meals were taken care of she's couple things looking for a blessing but honestly I think by the way he describes her he's she's actually caring about him you're out on your own you're you're out in the middle of nowhere you have been traveling a long time I want to make sure you have a comfortable place to stay so they prevail on him and it says that every time he came in that town that he was to get to stay there <laughs> you're hot huh So then one day as he was laying there, doesn't tell her how often he had done this. He looks at his servant, Gehazi, and he says, what can we do for this lady? Yeah. What can we do for this woman? She's been taking great care of us. And so he goes and he says, call her. And you look at what he says. He goes, what can I do for you? Do you want me to talk to the king? Do you want me to give a good word for, for you to the king? Is there anything that the king can offer you? Anything that the, the general can offer you? Do you need special protections? You know, do you need, you know, And her answer is quite interesting that uh, yeah, I dwell among my own people. I'm perfectly content. Now this is a very interesting statement. She's content. She's been offered anything that the man of God can do for her. and She says, I'm perfectly content. How many people can actually say that about their life? I'm content with my life. I dwell among my own people. I'm I'm content. I don't I have nothing I need, is what she's saying. Uh, you know, I'm you know my my husband's got we've got this house. My husband's you know we were able to build this build this for you. I am totally content. I may not be the richest person in town, but I'm. You know, and this is where Paul says we've le- that he had learned to be content and with little. Our goal should be to learn to be content what God gives us. Now does that mean we never want to see anything different? No. Paul said, "I've learned to be content much with little." When he had little, it doesn't mean that he wasn't trying to get more, but learned to be, God, if this is where you want me at this particular time in my life, then I'm content with what you've given me and this is what she's basically saying. I'm content. I have no need. Now, Gehazi seems to know more about her, all right, Uh, because he says, verily she has no child and her husband is old. So he seems to have known that she's talked about not having a child. And in that day and age, not having a child was a huge deal. Huge deal. If you were a woman and did not have a child, then you really weren't a woman as far as people were looking at you. You were a spin. Well, not, not even that, but you just, especially if you were married. You're barren. What's wrong with you? You and your husband aren't, uh, aren't acting correctly at nighttime. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever the attacks are, literally they're going, what's wrong with you? That would be the other side of it. It's either something that's wrong with you or you've done something and God is is cursing you. And this is a big deal. This is why uh, Samuel's mother is praying for a child. This is why Elizabeth and and Zacharias is praying for a child. He's a priest and, you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth, he's a priest and she's the priest's uh, wife and she doesn't have a child and everybody's looking at her like, what have you guys done that's so wrong that God won't let you have a child? Oh, it would have been, everybody would have looked down on them. You're 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 obviously not serving God correctly. Mm -hmm. Well, we understand that. They understood it, but it was still, if you're being blessed, there was the attitude, just like many people have today, that if you're honoring God, you're blessed blessed and everything's going to go right. You want kids and you're you're honoring God, then you're going to have kids. But that doesn't always work out that way. God has other plans sometimes for us. So this is a big deal. This woman does not have a child. Gehazi recognizes that. Now whether she said something, maybe she sighed, I don't have a child one day, or she's, he overheard her praying, we don't know. Many people do believe she had a secret desire of, I want a child, and she, but she's thinking, my husband's old, there's no way I'm going to have a child she's older and distinguished so she might be kind of at the toward the end of her childbearing years as well you know, this one doesn't say well stricken in age but <laughs> 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 but I, I catch that opinion right? she's distinguished she's, she's probably already turning gray she's the, she's the one that's advising other, other women she, is, she has honor even though she does not have a child and So Elijah says, call her. And she comes up and she stood in the door. Now, this is something that you probably don't really catch. But she would not be allowed to step into his room in that day and age. You know, there's nobody, you know, her husband's not with her. She cannot go into his room. So she stands at the door of his room and he talks to her from there because it would be inappropriate for her to come into his room. And this is even something that we need to look at in our day and age. How many times do we do things that put us in a dangerous looking place? Not that she, if she'd stepped into a room there, and I don't think anything would have happened, but the uh, town's tongues would have wagged, especially a year later when she got pregnant. Yeah. Okay. Okay yeah, we know that's not your husband's. we We know what you were in that room with him alone. Now we know what happened. So this was a very important statement here. She did not violate the norms of the day, and very clearly was making sure that it was definitely not his child. All right? And he said about this time, according to the time of life, and that would be one of two different statements, a couple of different statements that that can mean, It could mean simply that she just had a baby or that it could also mean spring. And the next verse kind of tells us that it was spring because it says in the time of life. Uh, So probably springtime she had her when everything's blooming and and producing. So probably this is a spring baby. All right. We can't be absolutely sure because another definition of this is just that she had a, She had a she had she she conceived and had the child. He says, You shall embrace, and her answer is kind of interesting. Um, Nay, my Lord, you man of God, do not lie unto your handmen, or do not deceive me, do not trick me, do not not give my hopes up. All right? Uh, Which indicates to her that she has no, she is well past even thinking that she's going to have a child. It's too late. It's too late. My husband's, at at the very least, my husband is old. (laughs) You know, he, he he is old. Indication that they're probably not doing much together anyway. Uh, so she's not having much hope for this. And then she conceives and has a son, just as God said that it would happen. This is the thing when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Uh, and in her case, I mean, this is a person now who has a lack of faith. The previous widow had great faith. She's filling up jars every jar that she can possibly find this woman has uh don't don't be don't be deceiving don't me. Yeah. You know, yeah, don't play me. That's a good one. Don't don't play me. You know. Uh I have this and it almost indicates she has this secret desire. She wants a son. But it's too late. But I'm I'm already given up. It's too late. It's it's well past. I don't as like they're telling me I would have one. I am like, there's enough no way. Yeah, like we playing around. There's no way you can have one right now. Yeah. So and then she has her son. And it's a son just as a, you know not only did she get pregnant but it's also the son that he told her it was going to be. So now she gets her greatest desire. She's got a child and it's the baby boy to hold on to carry the name of the family. And that was ultimately the woman's you know great joy. You know to have children was a big deal but if you didn't give them if you didn't bear a boy out of your children you disappointed your husband. <laughs> in that day, the family name, everything went. To, everything went to the to the son. Again, women had no rights back then. So, if everybody died, the family's, you know, family stuff, uh, possessions couldn't go on. Now, they would if the if the woman if the if the daughters got married, they'd pass it on to them. But it was passed on in the name of the of the family, the previous, of the family. <laughs> uh, because God said the property was to never be outside the family. Uh, and this was the story, if you remember the story, of Ruth and Boaz. When they moved back, uh, the land that belonged to Naomi needed a male to take it. So they needed a kinsman redeemer. And that was the nearest kinsman to her, her husband, was to marry, was technically to marry her but because nobody wanted to marry her she was too old to have children they were to marry Ruth and if you remember the story the nearest kinsman didn't want to marry Ruth she's a Moabitist he didn't want to marry her uh, Boaz loved her and he was second in line and said I, I, I'll gladly do this <laughs> and then the great news out of that relationship was that he begat Obed, who begat Jesse, who begat David. <laughs> so, Ruth the Moabitist in this beautiful love story of, of Ruth ends up in the line of Jesus <laughs> through, through uh, the kinsman redeemer. So, beautiful story, and this is what she was facing. If she didn't have a child, their land would have to belong to the next, in this case, they don't even have a daughter, their land would belong to the next nearest kinsman to her husband. Would be first off a brother, a brother husband, then down to uncles and, and everything. But God had lots of rules to say, your land will never leave your family. Even to the point that if I sold my land, at the end of 50 years, at the, at the golden jubilee, all my land was returned back to my family. Well, because they took it in consideration. If I sold my land, if I had 50 years, I could get a big price for it. If there was only two years to the, to the Jubilee, then I would get a much smaller price for my land because it had to be given back to, to, the, to the family at the end of at the year, the Golden Jubilee. Every 50 years. And then every seven years, at the seventh year, all slaves were released. All the, all the people who had sold themselves because of debts, they would be released, and their land would be released every 50 years. So you never totally lost everything. Uh, now, as a slave, you could say, well, you know, I don't know how to handle money. I'm going to be in debt again in, in a, few, in a few, few weeks, and I'll be back into slavery, and, if I, and I like this master. They're a good master. Then you could be called what was called a bond slave, where you said... I just want to be your servant. You're, you've been treating me good. I'll be your servant forever. You don't have to release me. That was why in the New Testament, the favorite description of the apostles, if you read the, all through the epistles, is Paul, a bond slave of Christ. Peter, a bond slave of Christ. Uh, Jude, a bond servant of Christ. They were all saying, we have chosen to be made slaves for Christ, and we don't want to be released. You know, and the problem with most... I want everything that you give me, but I want things to do be done my way. <laughs> and have the view that we until we say, "God, I am your servant. I am going to do what you say, how behave, how you act, ask me to act, not because I'm trying to earn earn anything, but because you have done everything for me, and I just want to serve you. You're a good master, and." So we have all of that going on here, and this woman is looking at her property, and now she's got a son. Now they've got a son. Verse 18 And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to the lad, Carry, and he said unto a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother, and, she, and he sat on her knees till noon, and he died. And she went up and laid him in the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She called to her husband and said, Send me, I pray, one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and, to, and come again. And he said, Wherefore will you go to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. And she saddled up the donkey And said to the servant, drive and go forward, slack not you riding for me, except I bid you. So she went and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, a servant, behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, I pray you to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she said, it is well. And when she came to the man of God on the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not, told me. So we'll stop there for just a moment. The lad goes out to where the father is working in the fields. And while he's out there, he cries, My head, my head. And... Apparently collapses right there with his father. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. Uh, When I first read this, I think of an aneurysm or something. Uh, But he lived a little longer and long enough to sit on his mom's lap. It might have been something as simple as heat stroke. But he's going to sit on his mom's lap till noon. And in the morning, I don't picture heat stroke in the morning. If you've been out all day in the sun, heat stroke could be this. Um... I really had the feeling that it was a stroke or an aneurysm, something that was very deadly. All right, Uh, We don't know. All we know is he ends up with a headache, Uh, pain in his head, and he collapses. And the father sends it in. He sits on his mom's lap until noon and dies. Now, it could have been noon the next day, but it sits on her lap until noon. And she takes him upstairs. to the rooftop room and puts him on the bed of Elisha and then closes the door. This is the mother's love. The man of God gave me this child. God gave me this child. Why did my child die? I'm gonna go see the man of God and find out what's going on here, all right? Uh, Because she's now heartbroken. She didn't dare have this hope that she was gonna have a child. Now she's got a child, and they use the word term lad so he could be anywhere from eight or nine years old to, to a t- young teenager, and now he's dead. He was just getting to the age where he's going to be the man of the house, be able, to, be able to take over when his dad dies, and now he's no longer there. And it is something that's heartbreaking enough to lose a child, but now to lose a child that you had... Not even hope to ever have and God gave you a miracle miracle child and now he's dead. Everything about this does not seem right. She's thinking that same way. God, you gave me this child. I was was beyond hope. I never thought I was going to have it. You gave me this child. Now he is dead. Why? How could you do this? And she goes to her husband and says... Uh, gas up the car (laughs) I'm going to go see the man of God in this case get the donkey get the donkey together Uh, and her husband's kind of perplexed you know he sent a live son to her and now she's saying I've got to go see the prophet she never says the son is dead and his questions are very clear Uh, why are you going today it's not the new moon. It's not the Sabbath. This isn't a day for worship. Why are you going to go see this person? Oh, so her husband didn't know that the dead. When he sent the child to, she's out of the field now with him. He doesn't know the child's dead. and She never tells him. That's weird. She just put him up in the, put him up in the room and said, I'm, I'm going to go see the prophet. <laughs> that would be like somebody today going, I'm headed to the church. Uh, it's not Sunday, it's not a Bible study night, that's what he's going down, he's going down the list, it's not, new, it's not the new moon, it's not a Sabbath day, you know, he could have gone, it's not a feast day, you know, why, why are you going to go see the prophet? And she doesn't answer him, at least in the story, at least in the story, it doesn't tell us that she answered him, she just says, I want that donkey, I'm going to go see the prophet. All right. And they're going to go from Mount Tabor, to Mount Carmel which you go straight west <laughs> from Mount Tabor to Mount Carmel, it's about 30 miles this is not a this is not a simple trip All right, this is not a simple trip that they're taking, this is a pretty good trip, and her instructions to the, to the servant are, lead the donkey and don't slow down for any reason unless I tell you to She's saying, it is time to move. All right? I have an important engagement. Do not... <laughs> Does a husband not question anything? You know, she has respect in the house enough that he says, I'm not sure what's going on, but go do... You know, but... Uh, well, he's in the field. He's going to be in the field until dark. All right? He's, this is noon... She's getting ready to start a 30-mile trip at noontime in a day when you can only go five or six miles an hour. So she's getting ready at noontime to start a five to six-hour trip. Now, in our day and age, we go 30 miles, no big deal. I'll I'll be there in 30 minutes. That's not what was happening here. She's picking the wrong time to start the trip. No reason to start the trip. I think the husband suspected what was going on, but didn't want to ask the questions. You know, his son was, went sick, and now his wife is leaving in a hurry to go see the man of God. I think he knew what was going on. He just, there's no indication that he asked. Uh, okay, I, I, otherwise, he, I, I'd have been, uh, uh, my dear wife, uh, you would realize this is not the time to be going to Mount Carmel. Tomorrow morning is a much better time. You've got the whole day to get there and another day to get back. You know, why don't you just wait? I really do believe he knew what this was about. Even though she didn't tell him, you know, there's an urgency in her voice. I have got to go see him today. <laughs> you know. He's got the faith. He's got the love. He goes, okay, my wife... But she's been the one driving this. She might have been the one wearing the pants and the pants in the home too, by you know, she's the one that convinced him to build a, build the house. She's the one that's been taken care of, she's the one that invited, you know, she's the one that's been talking about it. So, you know, there could be a backwards household as well. <laughs> but I do believe he understands. He knows I think he knows what's going on. He sent a very sick son who collapsed to his wife, and now she's going to go see the the prophet you know so he's just he's he's covering his bases he's doing the good thing you know well tell me why you know tell me why without being blunt about it and she gives answer it will be well she, knows. she is absolutely sure that when she sees the prophet God's going to do something this is her request. She doesn't really make that request, but in that directive of voice, but her expectation is that God gave me my secret desire of having a son. He's not taking my son away from me at this point. And she's thinking back to all the different people that have had miracles in their life. She's thinking to all the different she's thinking about the miracle that she has a child in the first place. And she's going, God would not raise my hopes to take and dash them away at least she's hoping that that's going to be the case and so she tells the servant you get this donkey moving as fast as it can get and you don't stop I don't you know if I'm bouncing around and everything you don't stop unless I tell you that you must stop because normally he would have only gone a certain distance Said, now get off and walk and, and stretch your legs. and Take her another distance. Now get off and walk and stretch your legs. And she's saying, "Uh-uh. Unless I tell you, I must get off. You keep this donkey moving, and you you get us to Mount Carmel as fast as you can get us there. No, no time to waste. I'm I want to cover this this 30 miles in as fast as we possibly can because I, this is urgent. And her you know her languages were breaking it. You know we're not following normal procedures here. You are to get me there as fast as we possibly can get there. And we see somehow that God brings attention to Elisha up on the mountain, and he looks down. Now, he must have had very good vision, uh, something about the clothes she wore or something, and he recognized her from a distance and told Gehazi, that's the Shunammite. Go find out what's going on. Ask her, you know, ask her if she's well, if her husband's well, if the child's well. You know, this is urgent. She's coming in at this point, it has to be close to the close of night. You did not travel at nighttime in these roads. Thieves wandered the roads. If they managed to find anybody dumb enough to be wandering around at night, they attacked them. So she's taking some chances here. And Elisha looks down and going, that's that's a Shunammite. What is she basically he's thinking? Why, why is she traveling so late? Why is she by herself? And so he's sending Gehazi down, go find out what's going on. And she tells Gehazi the same thing. It is well. Or all as well. She has only one person she plans to talk to. Um, and then when she gets to up there, She gets to the hill where the man of God is and she says she grabs him by his feet and won't let go. This is a a picture of humility. She's on on the ground at his feet, but she's also grabbing hold of him saying, you are going to take care of this. You are taking care of my issue. Because I am not letting go. And at this point... Elisha is perplexed he's the prophet God always tells him what's going on All right. in this case he turns to Gehazi because Gehazi immediately goes up like what is this crazy woman doing she is grabbing the prophet he's ready to forcibly remove her yeah, you know, yeah, don't, what do you think you're doing? No, you know, you're not supposed to be touching the man, period. And this is the man, this isn't just a man. This is the man of God that you are touching. And he's like, get away. Yeah. And Elisha's saying, stop. She's obviously in pain and God is not telling me what's going on. So Elisha has a little bit of perplexity as well. This makes me wonder Did Elisha grant her prayer and God honored it in spite of what God wanted to do? Sometimes God will answer prayers that we ask that aren't good for us. It's good when he tells us no, because he knows it's bad for us. But if we are insistent enough to ask for something, sometimes he answers the prayers that we shouldn't have answered. And we will face the consequences for it. This is why we had to be very careful when we pray to say, God, I want what you want. Your will, God. I am not sure that God wanted this to happen necessarily, Because now we have... But it could also be that this whole thing is to show us the the example of faith and honor and and moving forward. So I don't know. Uh, It could be the other side of the coin. All things work together for good and God is using this to show us even though it wasn't his plan I'm still going to make it for good. And Elisha is a little perplexed. He doesn't God is not saying yeah, it's your fault you 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 prayed for prayed for her child. Now that child's dead. It's all your fault. Now go take care you know now go take care of it. Uh, he's at a point and many times in our life we're going to end here unfortunately we're going to leave this child dead for a week. <laughs> many times we come to a place where God does not speak to us clearly and we have to walk by faith. And that's the hardest things to be doing sometimes is when we just don't understand what's going on. And God is saying, just obey. Just obey. And that can be the hardest thing to do. To step out in faith when we don't see anything, the the corner may just be three or four feet away, and we turn the corner, and there it is. Might be half a mile down the road. It might be several miles down the road, but God says, "Just step." That we get what we should, what we didn't, what what wasn't good for us. We see it all through scriptures. Lots of times where people get what wasn't quite good for them you really really want it you really really want it you're gonna keep praying for it. you're not gonna take no for an answer you can have it but then you're gonna have the consequences for for your persistence now the flip side of it is Jesus told the story about the woman at the unjust judge who kept begging and begging and begging and begging and begging until she got it so this is where it is hard to know the difference is this something that God wants me to have and is just asking me to keep asking him for? Or is this something that I really want that God is not really wanting me to have and he's saying no and I'm not listening? I think it's what, it's what I really want and <laughs> God really wants me to have. It's the, I, I, I. You, you've hit it on the head. If, it's, if I'm putting the word I in there, this is what I really want, I probably shouldn't be begging for it. Uh, but if it's something that I think God is wanting, then persistence is what he's looking for. And this is, a, this is a hard thing. It really is a hard thing to, how often do I go forward and I stay persistent with God to get, what, get my prayer answered? Or when do I stop and say, God, okay. Paul was told, you know, he said, I went to God three times to have the thorn in my flesh removed and then God said, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, Finally, he just said, no, Paul, you can keep asking, but I am not answering this prayer. And I think God makes it clear to us when, when enough is enough. We can persist beyond that, but there is a time when you just know that God is saying no. And then there's a time when you know that it's what really needs to be prayed for, and then those times you have to continue praying. And you're to continue praying until the prayer is clearly answered. And always remember, no is an answer. It's not the answer we like to hear, but no is a legitimate answer, and God has answered when he says no. Uh, And it doesn't matter how old we are, we don't like to hear the word no. The baby doesn't want to hear no, and when we're 80 years old, we don't want to hear no. And it gets even worse the older we get because, well, I'm old enough to decide what's good for me, and the same attitude we have as a kid, but now we mean it. Or we think we mean it. God, you told me, no, I am not going to accept it. I'm old enough to make my own decisions. And sometimes God will say, fine, you think you're old enough to make your own decisions? You're old enough for the consequence of that decision. Uh, and this is something that's important, you know. And I've told even some parents sometimes of teenagers, I go, sometimes you're going to have to let your kids have what, they, what you know is not good for them so that you'll be around to help them get over the consequences. I know some people who protect their kids so much that the key kids never get to make a bad decision until after they're out from home. And there's a danger to that. But there's always consequences to have to be faced. And if we are ready to face the consequences. God may say, maybe we're going to learn from the consequences. Hopefully, we learn from the consequence. But God is saying, fine, you want the consequence? I'm going to let you have the consequence. Don't come back complaining to me when you about the consequence. Uh, now, does he always do that? No. Most of the time, he's got enough grace to say, I said no. But there are going to be times when he says, okay, you're going to be persistent about Doing what's not good for you, I'll let you have it. I don't know that that's what happened in this situation with uh, Elisha or not, but I have a sneaky suspicion that this is what's happened. And now Elisha's got to deal with the consequence of a broken-hearted mom who really didn't have, did, you know, wasn't really e- even asking for it, and probably a father who's not so happy about this either at this point in time, and now he's got to go do something about it, which is another miracle. God still reaches out and touches everybody, but I'm not sure who's learning the lesson in this in this story (laughs) ultimately from it all. And it could be everybody's learning a lesson. It's not the first time God wouldn't have a lesson for everybody. Because this happens so many times in our walk with God. When God teaches me a lesson, other people are learning from that lesson. When somebody is teaching, when God's teaching you a lesson, Other people are learning from that lesson. Maybe not as much as you are, but they're learning also. So God has ways of bringing good and more good than we can even imagine out of everything that comes our way. And other people can be touched as well. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. And Lord, help us to be able to accept your answers to to our problems. Help us to have faith in in what we do, and we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com.